0: Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you.
1: Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your, for your goodness, allowing us to gather still, Lord, in this country. That we're allowed to gather and speak about your things encourage one another and and pronounce your word father we thank you because uh, your mercy is upon us father god and we're able to in this season grow and mature and take all the sin father god so that if and when the hard times come lord this is what we'll have in our hearts and our minds and we'll be able to uh, be a blessing not only to our families but to this nation father god we ask you that this morning lord you totally take over what's being said what's being done That everything we say and do be done and said for your glory and your honor, Father God. Just take me out of the way, Father God, and just speak to your people, Lord. That nothing come from this pulpit that does not come from you, Father God, but that everything come from your heart to your people, Father God. And just use me as as an empty vessel, Father God. By your grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so before I get started, I will tell you that there were two different workshops going on on communication. There was a Spanish workshop, which was mine, and there was an English workshop, which was Pastor Palmas, uh, Jose and Ceci Palmas, and so this morning I asked them if they could take a little bit, a uh, few minutes to kind of give us a summary and update of what their workshop was about because I want to make sure everybody uh, hears it from both sides and kind of we could close the loop on communication, and so uh, Jose and Pastor Ceci and Jose Palma, we're going to ask them to come forward and share with us the highlights. Thank you, Pastor.
0: Good morning, church. Um, Pastor Jules also asked me to share an update before I get into communication. Just a brief update on the men's uh, trip to Oregon. Oregon, Potato, potato. Um, The men are having a great trip. There was 500 men in attendance the first night. A thousand men the second night the men of Oregon were so impacted that they decided that next year they want to do it in a much larger venue I'm not sure if it's a stadium or what venue it is but it's the Michael Knight Stadium which is the son of Phil Knight the guy who founded Nike Uh, he created a he basically um, sponsored a stadium over there in in his son's name and so it's an important stadium in that town and they want to do the venue they want the event to be at that venue next year. So uh, the men of Oregon were impacted. I've heard there's invitations to other churches. Um, somebody even told me, don't quote me on this, we can ask when, we, when he gets back. But somebody even told me that we got an invitation to take what is a man to Japan. Which might be, okay, so it's confirmed. Japan. So So that might be the, long, the, far, the longest trip we would have made as what is a man we got to check the map google maps and see if that's accurate um, but so the men are having uh, a very powerful time in oregon continue to pray for them pastor's sharing today uh today at, at a church possibly is it two churches okay so pastor joaquin bishop joaquin is sharing. In the church that sponsored the event twice today, and they invited Pastor Rivera to share at another church. So, um, so God is doing, um, God is using the men that we sent over there powerfully. So, continue to pray for them today and for a safe return. Um, amen. So, that was the update on the trip. Um, I now we, we just want to share a few minutes on the highlights, or I think the takeaways from from our session on communication. Um, The first thing I want to talk about is how my wife and I were preparing for the session and I don't know, was it 11 o'clock at night And, and, and we were in front of the computer and we had been meditating on what verses we were going to share, but now we were going to put them all together. And so we're looking at each other and as I'm putting the verses together, I said, I don't remember how the question came up, but I was like, you know, in my mind, amen, this will be... For some of you, a, a, a common lesson, meaning a lesson you, you, re, you learn and you relearn throughout your marriage. Um, and if you haven't been married, you're going to learn it. When you think you have it figured out, when you think you know what your wife is thinking, you may not. So just be open to that. So I'm getting my message ready and I'm thinking, I know what women want to hear. Help them Lord I really thought I was like because you hear it I you know for whatever reason I'm thinking I know what women want in a communication um, in a message on communication with with uh, with their husbands you know I'm thinking they want to be able to communicate how do I communicate in a way that my husband understands me because I always hear that women want to be understood so I'm thinking okay how do I Women want to hear, how do I communicate so my husband understands me? Um, So I, I, of course, I share this with my wife. And then,
2: oh, in English, right? (laughs) So, good morning. So he was telling me that a communication workshop should be about getting your point across and letting the other person understand what you want to say and be able to not persuade but like communicate your message and I was like mm, that's not what I was thinking that <laughs> communication was. Um, to me it was more about connecting with my husband about getting closer and being able to understand each other better but not for me to sell or or convince him about my perspective or my point of view. I told him I'm not trying to convince you about something when I'm communicating something. It was more about getting closer to each other and getting to know each other better. That was my idea of communication.
0: Amen. So I'm thinking men want I'm thinking women want to be understood. Right? And I'm thinking that is the expectation of a communi- marriage uh, a communication session for marriage. Women want their husbands to understand them, and in reality, she's telling me, "No, I'm not so focused on you understanding me. I want us to communicate in a way that draws that brings us closer together. And isn't that better? Isn't that amazing? So for me, um, even preparing for the lesson or for for the session was interesting." But um, it was a learning experience. But the reason I was asking her was because, was because I figured that whatever we thought the communication, the session on communication was going to be about, um, I figured that it was going to be whatever we expected, what we were going to share was going to be different. Um, and you'll see what I mean in a second. If we could put up verse, actually, the third slide. So, um, this was not the main point, but this was an, a very important point. This was one of the takeaways. Um, see if I, I can't read it up there, but I can read it over here. Um, so it says, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to rein in the whole body as well. We put bits into horses' mouth and they obey us. Actually, the next verse that I skipped says... See what a large ship is, you steer with such a very small rudder. So you have this huge ship, this huge cruise ship. But if you look at the size of the rudder that steers the cruise ship, it's tiny compared to the size of the ship. And we got this huge enterprise called a marriage or a family. And we've got all these, sometimes we feel we've got, we're overwhelmed with the problems or the issues that we deal with in our marriage. But all of those things can be steered with such a small rudder. We look at the size of the problem. We look at the complexity of the problem. We look at the issues maybe in our spouse or the issues in life we're dealing with. But the Bible says, if we just leave it up there. You don't have to take it off. I prefer you just leave it. Um, we focus on the size of the problem or the nature of the problem. But the Bible says, what, and unfortunately I didn't put it up there, but it's what, a small what a large ship is steered by such a small rudder and what it's talking about is so also the tongue is a small part of the body but it boasts great things how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire and that fire is the tongue so some we create we were we create such problems with the words that we say And with our tongue, an incredible forest set aflame with such a small spark. And so um, when we talk about communication, the first thing we have to do is learn to tame the tongue. The Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I'm going to say that again. Lesson number one in communication, in marital communication, well, in any communication be slow to speak tame the tongue quick to listen I'm sorry quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger um I'm going to have my wife share some verses she wanted to share and then I'll close out
2: um I don't know what slide this the is next slide. Mm-hmm. yeah um so These are just two verses that are a blessing for my life, and I just wanted to share it in our workshop. Um, I'm going to ask also to read them because it's just easier for me.
0: A gentle answer, so we were talking about taming the tongue. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The tongue of a wise man of of the wise makes knowledge pleasant, but the mouth of fools spouts foolishness. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken at the proper time.
2: So those two verses have been a blessing to my life because there's many times when we have to choose how we want things to continue. If the conversation gets a little bit, like we call it, an intense fellowship, um, we have a choice whether we want to continue on that path of intensity or whether we want to just take a break and wait for the right time, or choose the right words to speak so that our communication doesn't turn into something unnecessary and it goes the wrong path. Um, And how important, like apples of gold on, on silver, how important is it to choose the right words and the right timing when we speak? So, um, these are Bible verses, but I think they're very practical, at least for me. They've been a blessing, not that I can always apply them. You know, we always, we, we are in the process and by God's grace, but I think it's something to keep in mind so that when our conversations get a little bit out of order, we can think about those verses and, and ask God to give us wisdom on how we, how we speak.
0: Amen. Leave that, leave that slide up. Amen. Um, amen. So, In the conference, one of the most interesting things I think we did was, um, at least for me, it was interesting, is we asked people to raise their hand, and we'll do it today. We'll just pick on two or three people real quickly. We asked people to raise their hand and say, what what do they expect a communication communication workshop in a marriage conference to be about? What are they expecting to hear in a... um, in a workshop for, marriage, for for communication in marriage. So let's just take a raise of hands. If you were to guess what are the topics we're going to cover or what's the point, um, let's just get a couple of brave volunteers to raise their hand with an idea. Okay. One, so one, be, how to speak to each other pleasantly um, and without arguing, communicating, um, avoiding arguments. Anyone else? Any other brave soul? Anybody got a good idea? Or what? Or how about what you were hoping? No brave souls this morning. Okay. How about what you were hoping to hear? What were you hoping to learn in a marriage conference? Or in a communication session in marriage? Come on, somebody. Help, help me. I'm going to pick a volunteer. Oh, Pastor Omar. How do you repair the damage? Awesome, awesome thank you how to address disagreements great awesome so I had a feeling that all of these different um concepts were out there which is why we started with honey so what do you think a marriage conference is about so as I searched scripture and I was praying and meditating and and this, well let's put up the next slide This is what our session really focused on. The goal of communication in marriage is edification. It's not to be understood. It's not even to avoid an argument, although that's a good thing. It's not, the goal of communication in marriage, the Bible says, is edification. It says, knowledge, 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So the goal of communication in marriage is edification. It's to build, and edification is the process of building up, the process of improving your spouse, building her up or building him up, promoting growth in your spouse. Um, And then I'll just read the other verses and hand it over to Pastor Jules. Let no unwholesome word come from your mouth. Let no unwholesome word come from your mouth. But if there's any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that which will give grace to your spouse. No unwholesome word, but if you can build them up, if you could say something to build them up, say that. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. I was telling the group, I grew up with a harsh dad. Not harsh, not overly harsh in my, you know. I grew up with a typical Cuban rough around the edges dad. And he wanted to make sure I was rough around the edges because he didn't want me to be soft when somebody came and tried to rough me up. So my dad was rough with me in the manner he spoke, in the manner he dealt, in a loving way, but he was rough. So guess so often... I think when I'm being my tender is not her, what she is not her tender. Tender for me is not tender for her. So husbands, be love your wives, do not be harsh with them. And harsh is not what you consider harsh. Harsh is what she considers harsh. So we need to be sensitive to that. Um, but speak the truth in love. You're not gonna lie, you're not gonna sugarcoat, but speak the truth in a way that edifies speak the truth so that we grow up again edification the purpose of the purpose of communication is love speak in love that we may all grow up in all aspects to him, into him who is the head that is Christ amen so those are the those were the, the i think the key themes that we focused on we covered other ground But these were the key themes that we focused on. Uh, It's what the Lord put in our heart to share during our session. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jules.
1: And Lord, we thank you for today's service. (laughs) That was awesome. We could leave right now and you guys have something to chew on for a while. Amen. That was super good. Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Uh, One of the hard things about doing a workshop is that you're missing another workshop that may be even better than your own workshop. So, You miss out, you know, so I love to hear the summaries, we love to, uh, people who post it online, I love it, me and Clyde were just watching it last night, um, the workshops, because you miss stuff and you don't want to miss anything, you want to hear everything people are sharing, a lot, a lot of rich life experience here, and how many know that Pastor Jose Palma has a lot of estrogen in the home, amen, and so he'll figure it out what women want to hear one day, (laughs) they'll be more than happy to teach him, amen. It's crazy how God gets these guys that were raised rough and tough and he was a dirt bike racer, or, uh, you know, he was a very competitive guy, whatever, and then God gives him four daughters. Is that God's mercy or what? You know, just perfecting that other side of him that needed a little bit of work, amen? So he, like myself, is we're learning to speak more gently. We're learning what harsh is for our wives because uh, like I always say, um, in my father-in-law's home, when he would ask his wife for a glass of water, this is the way it sounded. My love, if you just happen to pass by the kitchen on your way down, if you can, and it's not too much trouble, would you mind pouring me a glass of water? Ja. And I mean, I heard that because, you know, when we were dating and whatever, and we were at the house quite a bit. So I would hear the way he talks to his wife. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, Superman, you know and how is it that i ask for a glass of water the way we ask for a glass of water i'm oh yeah, bring me a glass of water you know no please no thank you if you happen if it's whatever you know and so uh so i've also learned there's a lot of estrogen in my home also i've also been domesticated you know <laughs> they're teaching me how to be a true man amen so i come to the men's meeting expecting like some adulation some praise i'm doing such a good job and they smash me more you know you're not good enough you're not thinking about I'm trying <laughs> you know and so um this is a great church for that reason ladies <laughs> bring your men bring your boys you know we'll domesticate them amen no we understand you know that God will move in this nation in this country in our homes if he gets a man lined up with his purpose and his will we know that we know that We know that everything is going to follow. And if you're in a home where the man isn't saved, where he's not a Christian, where he's not, the Bible says, hey, don't worry about it. The crazy king of Persia, God was able to move his heart and change his heart and line his heart up to be able to be a blessing for God's people. So I doubt anybody's husband here is worse than the king of Persia, who was a very pagan king. And so if you pray and you seek God in your earnest and seeking God, God could change your husband's heart. And God could touch your husband and save him. Amen. So and we're in prayer with you because uh, we want to see all men come to uh, be the men of God that God designed them to be. Amen. All right. So that was great. That was a great summary. And I'm just going to wrap that up. I'm not even going to like you know go too far from that, but I'm just going to put it in a little box and wrap it up. And um, you know I want to talk about communication in the sense of the vastness of what communication is. And um, you know we know because in science we've kind of figured out the brain pretty much and. And to our dismay or to our surprise, a lot of the brain, a lot of the brain, the great majority of the brain is actually wired just for communication. Do you guys know that? All the other stuff that we do is kind of like, you know, sidebar stuff. But our brains are really like complex and wired to a large extent to be able to communicate with each other and with our environment we we, you know we communicate with our environment we communicate obviously there's a spiritual side of man that even if you go to the most remote places of the world in the middle of the jungle you know those people are doing something that looks like prayer looks like meditation looks like worship where did they learn that right so our brains are even like designed and wired to be able to like look up to the heavens and cry out you know is there a god out there there's a need there's a hunger so god created our brains like that and so even from the time that the baby's in the womb being knitted together you know all these systems are being put together and and some people even argue that babies in the womb can already hear what's going on outside and so uh you know they uh, i mean i've heard of moms you know reading stories to their babies while they're still in the womb but really what's happening is the baby even in the womb is already becoming familiar with the mother's voice With the father's voice, from the time that they're born, when they hear the mother's voice, they know they're in a safe place. When they hear another person's voice, it's not their mom, it's not the voice they're familiar with from the womb, there's a reaction there. There's there's not the same comfort level. And also with the dad's voice, if there's turmoil and hollering and screaming in the home and fights, whatever, that impacts the baby in the womb if there's peace and quiet and calm and soothing, whatever that impacts the baby, even in the womb from a very, very early uh, stage of development. And now, you know, knowing that, you know, it, me, I was concerned because, I mean, we had some of those uh, intense fellowships in my home, you know, when as I was going through pregnancy, we had three daughters and a son. So we spent a large portion of uh, the first decade or two of our lives pregnant and raising children. So I always said, man, I hope that the baby didn't hear that. You know, the baby said, I hope he didn't hear that. I hope he didn't hear me lash out. I hope he didn't hear me holler and scream and whatever. But they'll be fine. Babies are very resilient. They're not that fragile. You know, they'll be fine. They'll be good. But it's just interesting in science to know that the babies already are perceiving and learning what mom sounds like, what dad sounds like, amen? And so, but mostly for the most part, you know, from the time that they're born, as they begin to develop, What are the areas of their communication that are being developed and matured? Because they can't talk, right? So they're they're hearing, the way they hear things, the way they interact, they're experts. One of the things that separate uh, humans from all other animals, really, is that humans are experts at reading facial expressions. Babies are experts at reading your facial expressions. We've tried this trick with our kids, you know, like I always tell parents, you know is the kid falls and gets hurt and the parent <gasps> facial expressions are dramatic and scared the kid looks at the parent, and goes ah uh, like something really bad just happened look at that face you know a, i must be dying you know so the kid like has a meltdown and like it feels like dying but if when the kid does that you're like hey it's okay come on the kid looks at you like okay and gets up and keeps running that is so interesting because Kids, since the time they're babies, they're very good at reading facial expressions. They know when there's fear, when there's anxiety, when there's peace, when there's calm. They know that from the time they're babies, but they still can't talk. They could also recognize voices and sounds um, very rarely they know when something is threatening when something is harsh when something's aggressive they know when something is calm and peaceful um you know with Catalina when she comes to church you know I was I'm back there on a Sunday school and then hey how are you I start talking and she smiles you know and she she perceives you know just by my facial expression by the tone of my voice that this is something friendly and loving and caring so you know she's happy about it but surely you know if she came in and I said hey hurry she would you know react and withdrawal and like kind of oh no is this something I should be concerned about but they still can't talk right so they're becoming experts in communication and they haven't even began to talk does that make sense how many has seen that in the children right so why did God do that why did God begin since the womb begin to perfect our hearing our seeing even our touch you know sensation is a form of communication um you know, when you touch somebody and love whatever, like they know it, they feel it, they sense it, you, you don't say a word, they perceive that. When you're harsh with somebody, I've had people grab me by the arm, I'm like, this is not friendly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not nice, you know, and um, and my first reaction is to pull back and like, you know, get ready because something's going to go down because the way they, they, the way they touched me was not nice, you know, and so... Um, versus when someone touches you with love with kindness you know you like it 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 calms you it soothes you 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 feel great about it and you want to lean in and get some more of that stuff right because it's nice and so even touch is a form of of communication but it's so interesting what pastor say palma was saying and and i i kind of thought about that you know that why did god leave speech for last isn't that crazy when we talk about communication we always focus on talking but actually talking is probably the least amount of information we're communicating is through our speech. Most of the communication we see, we perceive, we understand is through our body language, through our facial expressions, through the directions we move in, that tells a lot what you're trying to communicate. As a dad, if, you know, I'm going to McDonald's, I'm taking the kids to McDonald's to eat, you know, my kids figure McDonald's food is okay. You know that's cool with junk food. Let's go to McDonald's. You know, and then I sit them down. I said, "Listen, you guys can't be eating junk food all the time because you know it's bad for your body." Blah blah blah. And I go on this whole lecture. They're gonna be like, "Huh?" Because your actions, what you communicated, was that this was okay, and now your speech isn't lining up with what you're saying. So what's the deal here? So. In children and with our spouses and with our employees our colleagues it's very confusing when you're doing one thing you're acting one way but what's coming out of your mouth is completely different it doesn't make sense it doesn't line up and instead of providing an environment of security and comfort and peace and assurance you're providing an environment of insecurity you know a a, a, a place of, of, of lack of trust lack of security and, and it creates havoc. You're not communicating effectively. So I thought and I figured, especially here in Miami, bottom line is, you know, God says when it comes to our tongues, it's almost like he leaves it for last because he's saying like, proceed with caution. Be very careful how you use that tool. It's a very powerful weapon. And I wanted you to first learn here and learn here and learn here before you began to use that thing. And even when kids begin to speak, they start very slow It's like one-syllable words, two-syllable words, three-syllable words, and by a certain age, you're supposed to have four-syllable words and whole sentences, and when they don't, my wife freaks out. So it's like, he's four years old, and he's not even one-syllable words, you know, and so um, it's a problem. But it's hard for kids in Miami because in Miami, we're bilingual, right? We're bilingual, and bilingual and trilingual because we speak a third language is is called Spanglish, right? So it's English, Spanish, and Spanglish. So for kids that are learning communication for the first time, speech specifically, they're learning how to talk— They're hearing all this mumbo-jumbo, so it's almost kind of like they take a step back. Wait, this is not making sense, let me wait. So it's not uncommon for kids, especially in areas like Miami, to begin to speak a little bit later than kids in other areas where they're only learning one language. You know, But notwithstanding, it takes a little bit longer, but they end up growing up, they're speaking two languages at least, and if they learn Spanglish really well, then it's three languages. So, God says, proceed with caution because this little, little, little tongue of yours is very, very powerful. James chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. This is the verse that Pastor Jose Palma and Sessie were talking about. It says, Look also at the ships, although they are large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by very small rudder whenever the pilot desires. And how many know the rudder is very, very tiny, very small? I got to put on my glasses. We're in that season. I got over the denial, and now I put on my glasses. And it says, look, that, that, that little tongue, that little member that seems insignificant compared to the rest of this, that little thing could start huge forest fires. It's very, very powerful. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set, I'm in verse six. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it's set on fire by hell. <clears throat> Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed. I could read from there. And has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, and full of deadly poison. So this idea about being able to control and tame the tongue is kind of out the door. You know, you got to stop it. And only let it, like, manifest or only use it when you're prepared to say something that is going to impact in a good way, in a positive way, what's going on. And what Pastor Palmer said is absolutely true. Communication, ideally, should be used to build, to edify, to grow, to mature, to improve, and not to destroy and belittle and ridiculize. Uh, You know, it should be used to make somebody feel better, not worse, generally. You know, I would say, unless you do something dumb, then... I'm coming in with strong language you know we're gonna stop that you know so even in communication there are times the Bible says be angry but in your sin but in your anger do not sin so even the Bible says look you have permission to kind of get a little bit upset when something's out of order when something's going wrong and it threatens the very home the family the communication the peace you know you're able to kind of speak up a little bit and you should you should roar like a lion and stop it don't let something that is pathological and toxic festering your home you got to raise your voice you know it doesn't mean you're not a man in fact it's probably one of the biggest jobs of a man is when they see something coming that threatens a family is go at it and take it down and and you do what you got to do you know and I always say um when somebody tells me a story about a situation with a kid or with a family or something like that I always ask okay so then what did you do well, I don't know, like, I, you know, I want to talk with the pastors, and I want to, I go, no, I go, you stand up, and you roar like a lion, and you make that place tremble, you make your home shake, because you need to communicate that that's not acceptable, and that's not right, and so, you know, this false humility of, like, you know, I'm going to walk on eggshells all the time, and not raise my voice, and not whatever, you know, great, I'm sure everybody will love that, but and then your home will be turned upside down, because you're not dealing with the hard issues, there are times to confront and there are times to take down and there are times to raise your voice and be angry when something is serious now if you behave like that all the time it kind of like loses its effect you desensitize your children and you're just like screaming again it's like oh here he goes again but when generally for the most part you're gentle and you're kind and you're sweet and you're supportive and you're building and you're encouraging and then that voice goes up and they hear that it's like oh, oh something's wrong everybody stops and we begin to look at what's wrong and we get it fixed amen so what we communicate or what we quote unquote say with our attitudes our posture our facial expressions and body language um you know needs to be consistent or or line up with what we're trying to tell the people around us and it can't be uh there can't you know discord is lack of harmony lack of, of of something lining up. So if these things don't line up, then you're not communicating effectively. And then when things don't go the way that you expected them to go, when things don't go the way, the, the way that you wanted them to go, it's probably your fault. Now you could continue to beat the people and come down on them and criticize and scream and holler and use all these tactics, but it's probably not gonna make things better. It's probably gonna make things worse. So I love what Jose says and Ceci said and also uh, Pastor Rivera and Clara said in the conference, it's probably time to call time out, walk away, let things simmer down, calm down, whatever, and then come back at the appropriate time and then speak. It's probably going to be a more well thought out, more effective, and it's probably going to lead to the end that you expect, amen, as opposed to uh, getting frustrated. When we talk you know it gets all it gets all messed up and and uh sometimes i mean the famous saying stick your foot in your mouth then you know that exists for reasons because that's not something that's uncommon and and it's extremely frustrating because you expect things to go a certain way and they're not so you figure if i scream harder if i scream louder then you know people will line up and whatever and and it doesn't happen and then later when we feel bad and we're like, man, I was, I was over the top. I shouldn't have reacted like that. You know, it didn't merit that. It wasn't such a big deal. You know, I went over the top, which I have. I have. I've, I've kind of blown by that many times. And 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 later I feel bad, you know, and, and I want to come back and I want to say I feel bad for what I did. But even the apology, I missed that out, <laughs> you know, because like, yeah, you know, what? well, but, but, you know. And, and then we come back with the aggression and the threats and, and the, the strong attitude, and, and that doesn't please God, and that doesn't edify, that doesn't build, and it doesn't get us to our end that we're trying to get to. So I, even, the, even the apologies could be very frustrating. So there's really nowhere I could look as far as humanly speaking to learn how to communicate and, 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 and teach how to communicate effectively aside from the Word of God. I mean, the Word of God is truly the place where it has so much counsel in this book i mean it would take me many libraries and volumes of books to be able to communicate what it says in here you know one of the things that happens that you know as a church as as a christian is we may not spend enough time in the word of god so we just don't know you know we think the word of god is just you know going to tell us about you know angels and harps and you know religious things the way we grew up but no the word of god like specifically talks about speech and communication how to do it, how to not do it and and so we need to spend time in the word of god for that reason and many other reasons now there could be many issues that that interfere with appropriate communication and i already talked about a few um one of the most common ones is just lack of vocabulary you know you just don't have the vocabulary to say what you want to say that is so frustrating because you want to say it nice but you don't know a nice word for that you know <clears throat> and so I tell people like one of the most common reasons for people to use bad language is because they don't know the correct language to use so we've always encouraged our kids and we ourselves we read a lot we read a lot we read a lot you know it's scripture it's it's devotionals it, it's books you know we read a lot because the the greater your vocabulary the better you're able to express yourself Amen, But it's frustrating because when we come to the Lord, we don't know these tricks, you know? So bad language suffices and it gets the point across, right? Before we're Christians. But then we become Christians. When I got to uh, Westwood Christian, I was in 10th grade. And the school I was going to before, like bad language was a status quo. You needed to talk like that because you know, you're surrounded by people that are pretty aggressive. So you need to get your point across in a short amount of time or else it was going to be a fight. Then I go to Westwood and they started giving me these pink little papers, you know. Every time I open my mouth, I'll get another little pink paper and another pink paper. And the first year I was at Westwood, I had more than 78 demerits because I didn't know how to talk. And also because I skipped detention. But I didn't know how to talk. So when we were in basketball practice and somebody did something, I would rah. And what would come out was a curse word, you know. And the coach from the other side of the court, eh, Molina go to the I said I said ship ship like a boat I said ship you know I was still getting trouble and get my little pink demerit and so lack of vocabulary could be an impediment to you be able to communicate what you want to say and that is very frustrating so you resort to bad language you resort to aggressive stuff and when you're bilingual you got a lot of bad languages you know you could do Spanish you could do English you could do Spanglish you know and so if you find yourself having to resort to that, it's, you probably need to read more. You probably need to read more, get more vocabulary, you know, just read more, read more, and, and, and avoid that bad language because our kids pick up on it really quickly, and, and we don't want our kids running around. You got two or three kids running around using bad language. It's not pretty. So another reason why uh, there's language barriers could be distrust. You could be a person that went through a lot growing up, you know, like Jose Pablo said, like, your dad could have been rah, 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 rah. So now when Ceci says, rah! you know, like, because we're wired that way, like, you know, that, that sounds a little aggressive. I'm not going to put up with it. You're not going to push back on that because, you know, so it could have been the way we grew up. It could be culture. You know, I would say like um, us from the Caribbean, we're very familiar. and we, we say what we mean. We mean what we say. And we just put it out there and let the chips fall where they may. And if they feel good about it, good. They feel bad about it. So what? They'll get over it. You know, um, my wife is from Central America. She's from Guatemala. They don't roll like that. You know, it's different you know you gotta be all like proper it's like uh people from new york and people from alabama you know you gotta be all proper and all pretty your language has to be like musical and it has to have, hit the right tones and because if it doesn't you know there's offense you know and you didn't even mean to do offense you know you're just being yourself you know bring me a glass of water you know oh well, i should have said love if you're on the kitchen if you just happen to pass by and there happens to be a glass on the counter and you pass by the sink do you mind if you can bring you know like I need to learn how to speak so no but the truth is somewhere between there right maybe it's not like that but it's definitely not the way I rolled you know so I had to learn how to speak because I have three girls and a wife and my son and so I need to learn how to speak so there could be things culturally our backgrounds the way we were raised that kind of are impediments to appropriate communication but we need to become aware of that we need to learn that sometimes spending time the word of God the Holy Spirit comes like the finger of God the Bible says and points those things out and says listen you don't know how to talk you need to speak better you need to speak nicer you know and then we look at scripture and we see how God communicates so I wanted to kind of delineate a little bit how God communicates with his people because who communicates more effectively than the Lord amen God communicates and he just happens to line up, you know, his, his actions, his attitudes, his disposition line up with his uh, words, with his actions line up with what he's trying to get us to do. And it makes sense. It makes sense to us, you know, and it, it's so cool because we know that when we're not getting it, we know it's not him because he's been very clear and effective in the way he's communicating to us. It's probably because we're in a bad place, right? So we could check ourselves, but when spouses talk and argue, or we talk with our children, whatever, like it it could be, well, he could be messed up, or I could be messed up. One of us is messed up. We need a third person in here to kind of settle this, you know, because, but God is never messed up. So it's so cool because he's like a reference that we can stand in front of and be able to see where we're at. The Bible calls it like a mirror. Like, a mirror doesn't lie. Like, if you're not looking good, you're not looking good. The mirror's going to tell you straight out. Like, the mirror's not going to clean it up, you know? And if you're looking good, the mirror's going to tell you, okay, you look good, you're ready to go, you know? And so God is like that reference that kind of we can stand and, and compare ourselves with and kind of know we're out of line or, or, or we're in line. And so God is consistent in the way he communicates with his people. And you can see it, you know, in, in always, like, generally, if you go Genesis to Revelation, God always starts by kind of uh, demonstrating his disposition or his posture in a certain topic in a certain thing now it could be something general like we're going to talk about in a second it could be something very specific like how does God feel about um about uh let's say uh adultery how does he feel about um you know how does he feel about uh idolatry how does he feel about uh charity or giving like those are, those are like specific things that God has made known his posture and his attitude towards those things. There's no confusion. If he doesn't tell us anything, we understand he doesn't like it. If he doesn't tell us anything or does, we understand, okay, he likes that. That pleases God's heart. He makes it clear to us. Okay, so it's great because... We're not confused and we're not insecure. We know where he stands. So his attitude, his disposition is made known to us. That's the first part of, of communicating. The second part is God generally in scripture, God generally will take action or move in the direction of what he's trying to communicate. So not only does he let us know where he stands on the topic, you know, is he pleased with it or is he displeased with it? But now we see him moving in the direction And then, okay, now I know, now like, yeah, absolutely. Because he's moving this direction. Yeah, the people that are committing adultery, like it's not going well for them. You know, like there are things that happen that, you know, consequences that God puts in place to stop us from going where we shouldn't go. And then, you know, the Bible says he that gives, like the windows of heaven are opened up and they're blessed Okay, so God likes us. So not only is his disposition known that he likes us to be givers, but then he takes action and he sends it back three, hundred-fold. hundredfold. And so now we do well, right? So we begin to understand by his disposition, his posture, and then we begin to understand by the actions that he takes because he mo- always moves in the direction of what his posture is. It's never contradictory. God doesn't say one thing like, hey, this is like a, the example I give fast food. God doesn't take us to McDonald's and then says, I don't like McDonald's. Or God doesn't say I don't like McDonald's and then takes us to McDonald's God never does that we do that but God never does that God never does that so he makes it clear he communicates to us where he's at what he feels and then he takes action in that direction the third thing that he does is he always explains so this is when the speech comes in this is this is when the words come in he kind of talks about he delineates the boundaries of this issue that he wants us to understand So not only does he have the disposition and then he takes actions, but then he explains to us in a little bit more detail, this is why. Because as a matter of fact, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And if you do that, you know, Pastor uh, Jose Mediero's Deuteronomy 28, you know, he always brings up Deuteronomy 28, because there God delineates. This is what's going to happen if you follow and you do the right thing and you obey and you in line with what I want and blah, blah. and then this is what's going to happen if you don't. And he delineates, so that's when the words come in. But it's easy because... If you hear God's words, all they're doing is confirming and affirming what He already communicated to us. Even if He didn't speak, we already knew what His disposition, what His heart was. But now He's speaking out of mercy for us because He's one of my prayers every morning I get up and say, Lord, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm likely to mess up. Have mercy on me, help me. And so He knows that I'm not the smartest guy. I'm, I'm not, I don't make the best decisions. So in His mercy, He gives me his word so I could line up what I need to do day in, day out and do the right thing, you know? So by God's mercy, he gives us his words. He speaks to us. He he teaches us. And then the last thing that he does, which is very interesting, and this was a surprise to me, is he always gives us a sign or symbol, like a visual picture of what he's trying to say, right? So you could look at that sign or that symbol, and just by looking at it, you understand exactly what he communicated in his posture, in his actions, in his words. It's a symbol. So all through the Old Testament, you see, like, God would always tell his people, look, build an altar there as a symbol. Look, take a stone from there as a symbol. Look, raise this up in front of the people as a symbol, and that I'm God, their healer. And so all through the Old Testament, and the New Testament, what is one of the greatest signals that we have in the New Testament? I'll let you think about that a little bit, but we're going to get back to that in a second. What is the sign, the signal, the symbol that God left us in the New Testament to voice to us or communicate to us what his disposition is in this era of the church? What is that symbol? So you guys think about that for a second. We'll get back to it. So it just so happened that everything that God is communicating lines up. It's not contradictory. It's easier for us to understand. It's easy to follow. It's easy to wrap our brain around. And it makes it really nice you know to follow the lord because everything is kind of laid out for us amen and um we're not like that you know a lot of times our speech doesn't match our actions doesn't match our disposition and the symbols we keep don't line up with what we're trying to communicate with our kids what are symbols that we keep you know uh, one of the biggest most catastrophic things in the world is that destroys families and people's materialism you know just like having little toys and having little things so when you tell your children look this is a priority of this home but and then you're over here doing other things you know there's other symbols other no matter what you're saying if the symbols and the signs and the things that you're having in your home line up with what you're saying your kids there's going to be like the bible you know says double-mindedness or in psychiatry we call it skits or, or a break or a crack two different minds two different ways of thinking and that for kids is is catastrophic like it's hard for them to line up one of the things that clyde and i always talked about since uh she grew up in a christian home and our home got saved when i was 14 and and we grew up in the lord and it was always hard for us to understand why a lot of our friends and a lot of people would fall away you know they turn 18 19 they go to college they fall away you know they they get into all this crazy stuff whatever and was questioned but obviously as we grew up and we matured now we've been married 27 years it's become pretty clear that those kids at home were getting split messages you know say yeah God is important church is important but then all the symbolism and all the actions in that home were going in a different direction and so for kids like they they couldn't figure out what do I line up with do I line up with what they're saying or do I line up with what they're doing or do I line up with what obviously their passion is because look there's a lot of it here you know and so for kids when they get to college they kind of they're still searching and trying to find their place they're still experimenting because they haven't been communicated which is the right path and one of the hardest things for me to hear is when i hear i've even heard pastors say this um i want to let them figure it out for themselves you know i don't want to impose i want them to figure out that's not your job to allow your kids that's so lazy to like stand back live your life and let your kids figure it out for themselves You know, it sounds cute and the world loves for you to say that. I mean, the world loves, that it sounds, oh yeah, you know, because they're not whatever, they're religious, you know, whatever on their kids, they're not imposing. But the Bible specifically says that we should instruct our children the way they should go. That means, look, this is our home. This is my home, frankly, you know, I was told this is my home. You know, Clyde and I, this is our home. This is what we we believe. This is what we're going to do. And this is what it's going to look like. And if you don't fall in line with that, I've told my kids this, if you don't fall in line with that, life is gonna be rough. Life is gonna be bumpy and rough and you're gonna have all kinds of issues going on. But if you line up with this, the favor of God's gonna come upon you and you're gonna have a great life, you know, because the parents are happy and and the parents' favor falls upon the kids. And so as they grow up, even though it doesn't make sense to them at that young age, they're just following, they're just following. But as they grow up, they begin to see the fruit of that. They begin to understand as they mature, and they begin to see the blessing, I promise you, by the time they grow up, say, I want that, because I don't want all this other stuff that I'm seeing out here, but in my home, this like looks great, and I want that. So they begin to adopt what you've been teaching them all these years, and what's so interesting, they think it was their idea to haul along. <laughs> like, you know, like they thought, oh, I decided to do this because this is and me and just look at each other like, yeah. Because we beat that into them since they were little kids or whatever. But now they think, oh, this is my idea. And this is, I feel good about this. So I'm going this direction. And we're like, praise God, you know. But it's interesting the way they internalize what you've been teaching them. If you communicate it effectively, Right so your disposition lines up with your actions lines up with your words and all the symbolism that surrounds your life and your marriage lines up with that it's easy for kids to follow amen so let's go to john 3 16 a very famous verse and you all should know it by memory by now it's in all the football games and basketball games but i just took a verse i said lord give me a verse where i can just like demonstrate this but you can see it from genesis to revelation god's disposition it says for god so loved the world That's his disposition. That's his attitude. That's his posture. So in this new era that we call the era of grace, the new new dispensation or the new covenant, God's disposition is God loves you. God loves you. That's his disposition. He's not in an aggressive, stomping, looking, you know, who he can destroy kind of mood, you know. He's not in a mood to kind of bury you the first time you make a mistake, to hit you over the head with a bat every time you mess up. That's not his attitude. His attitude and this, this dispensation is that is for God so loved the world. So his dispensation, his disposition is one of love, one of affection, one of acceptance, one that he's ready to kind of take you in and make you everything you can be. So that's what he's trying to say is where his heart is in this era, in this uh, dispensation. Amen. For God so loved the world. And so what is the disposition that you're transmitting or you're communicating to your family, to your kids? You gotta know that. You gotta know that, you gotta, you gotta check that. Because what you're communicating is like, you guys drive me crazy. I gotta go back to work that I hate just so I could give you guys what you want. You spoil brats. If that's your attitude, then you're probably not communicating exactly what you wanna communicate. So you gotta check yourself. If your attitude is like, you guys drive me crazy. I can never catch up with the laundry. You know, I, I hate cooking you know, blah, 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 if that's actually added to your disposition, that's what you're communicating to your kids in your disposition, you know, it's probably not what you wanna communicate, you know, versus I could care less about me, like, what do you guys need? I'm here to serve you. If that's what you need to kind of get ahead, if that's what you need to be able to have success in the area that God has put you in. Like for our, for our kids, when they were going to school, school academics was a priority. So they went to bed early, they got their breakfast, they went to school, they got home, they were expected to take, a, take a, a, a snack or something, you know, play a little bit, kind of unwind, and then sit down and do their homework. And it was kind of the routine. It was expected. What were we saying by that? We were saying academics is important. Not because it's important, period, just uh, uh, whatever, but it's important because it's what God has put in your hands in this season. So since God has put that in your hands in this season, let's do it. Let's work at it. All of our resources are here for you to have success in that area because it's what God has put in your hands. And if it's sports, you know, like uh, all of our kids did sports and, you know, I wanted them to know that their sports, their activities was important to me. So how would I do that? I would show up at the games. It didn't matter. Like I, I didn't have to scream and holler and fight with the rest. I didn't have to do all that. You know, that was extra. But just showing up at the games was saying like, this is important to me. Like your success in this area that God's put in your life is important to me. So I want to show up so I can show my disposition that this is important to me. And so it was kind of a season to kind of put ourselves to the side and what we wanted, what we desire, what we needed. And kind of just point to our kids and communicate to them the message. You're important to us. Your things are important to us. We want you to have success in what you're doing. So we're going to be there 110%. So much so that when some of our kids had trouble in school and academics, I didn't put it off a month or two months or three months to go visit the teacher. It shocks me sometimes when kids are doing not well in school, I tell the parents, well, what have you done? I always ask, what have you done? They say, well, you know, we were thinking, what are you thinking? I go, you need to go to school tomorrow. You need to sit down with the teacher. It's not because you're like anything or it's going to may not even impact a lot, but your kid sees that. He sees that it's important that you show up and that you go talk and that you kind of like, shake the building when something that's not going on right in their life because they are your priority and that's what you're trying to communicate that's your disposition so god's disposition in this era is god loves you god loves you and then he shows his disposition but then he takes an action a huge action it says he sent his only begotten son his only son he sent so before you ever did anything when you were still like lost in your sins doing your own thing being selfish and going to destruction God already sent his son so before you even aware of it God already took an action in the direction that lined up with his disposition so he loves you not only does he loves you he doesn't stay there but then he sends his son and he sends his son to die on the cross so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and then he goes on to explain in verse 17 he goes on to say this is what I call like the verbiage the, the talking he says For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved. Oh, that's why he did it. So his posture I get, right, makes sense. He loves me. He loves me so much he sent his son. That's a big deal. But why would he do all that? Then he explains because he wants the world to be saved and not condemned. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe in, in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. So he makes his disposition known, then he takes action on it, then he explains it, then he creates what I call like barriers, or he creates a structure so that you could know how to walk going forward. If you don't believe, you'll continue on your road to destruction. But if you believe, you'll be saved from having to go down that road of destruction. It says, you're going down that road of destruction anyways. You're you're on that path. That, that's where you're going but now I'm going to give you this escape because I love you I'm going to give you this escape that if you believe you will be saved and not have to go to destruction so God beautifully lines up his posture his attitude his disposition together with his actions together with his words and we know that what he's trying to say is that he is ready to reconcile to rescue he's ready to accept not only you but your family and your loved ones so God is not in a disposition to condemn you, to destroy you, to smash you over the head with a bat, but he's in a disposition to love you, to save you, to tolerate your knuckleheadedness, you know, to put up with your nonsense sometimes because his disposition is one of love, one of uh, rescuing you. And if we believe and we accept that, we accept Christ's death on the cross, you know, it says that his grace is there for us. And so God continually affirms this and affirms this over and over again through scripture. And even in the things that Jesus communicates, you can see over and over again, the parable of uh, the one sheep that got lost, the one lamb that got lost, that separated from the fold. He said, he stopped doing everything he was doing and he went out to look for him. He's continually communicating this throughout the whole New Testament. He's there for you. This is a season for you to grow close to God, leave your sinful ways, get off that path of destruction and come back to God and reconcile and make up with God amen and so he spells it out over and over again and then what is the symbolism what is have you guys figured out what is a symbol that God gave us in this area to tell us he loves us and he paid the ultimate price so that we could be saved what is a symbol the cross because a lot of us come from catholicism because <laughs> i thought the same exact thing but i'm like but the cross was something that was invented to torture and hurt and it, it was the romans which were pagans they kind of use it whatever so god is it the cross and he says no it's not the cross dummy god told me that like that like he said no dummy it's not cross because i grew up with the cross in front of me my whole life you know with the cross and jesus like on the cross whatever i grew up with that my whole life so i said okay then what is it then what is it and then he took me to first corinthians 11 verse 23 he not only left us a symbol but then he told us to celebrate the symbol every time we come together he says you know the symbol is the blood it's the blood of the lamb in the old testament since way back in the old testament he said that he told his people to get the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost so that when the angel of death would pass by it would know that in that home he couldn't touch anybody death and destruction was not going to that home because of blood So the symbol that he left us was the blood of Christ. And he says here in in verse 23, he says, so that every time you get together, he says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for, for you. Do this in remembrance of me, verse 25. In the same manner, he took the cup, after supper, saying, this is a cup of my new covenant. My new covenant, what is the new covenant? What is God's disposition in the new covenant? I love you, right? So in my new covenant, what is the symbol? Is my blood. The new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so the symbolism is there. You know, it, it, he, he left it for us so that every time we get together, we could remind each other, God's disposition is one of love. He gave his only son, and these are the symbols that demonstrate His love is the blood and the body, broken body of Christ. Amen. So God follows this through, you know. And in every good communication, for those of you that are in business and run a, a company, you know that you can't just leave it there. That has to be followed through, right? The communication has to continue. Then you have to continue to uh, hammer home that point. And God does this. He. You know, I, I say, you know, the Trinity, all hands on deck, you know. Jesus gave everything he had. The Holy Ghost was sent to us to teach us and mature us. The Bible says a counselor, he says, I'm going to sing you the Holy Ghost so he can mature us and grow us and prepare us, you know, for the coming of the Lord. Then God gives us the church, which is one of the most powerful tools, the only tool upon the earth to really perfect us and make us better. And then he gives us the five ministries or giftings, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and apostle. So that, you know, all these elements are coming in. God saying, not only am I... Moving that direction, not only am I saying it, but I'm also providing all these tools in the direction to support it. And so that's important in communication, that the follow-through demonstrates that you're all in. And as parents and as spouses, if we really feel bad about what we did, if we really consider something important, if we value each other, then not only is our disposition going to be in that direction, we're going to take action in that direction. We're going to say it, and yeah, man, you got to say it, man. You got to speak. You got to say it. Baby, I love you. Baby, you look so pretty. Baby, you look so good today. Baby, that was awesome what you did yesterday. You know, you know, you gotta verbalize. You gotta say it. You know, and then you gotta provide symbolism. And a lot of things that we do, you know, uh, gifts are a very powerful symbol. You know, to buy a gift. You know, it's it's tough to explain a vacuum cleaner. You know, or you know, a blender. You know, those things are tough to explain. You know, but you know gifts like rings and jewelry and, and pretty clothes and pretty shoes and and things that we buy each other not only us for the women but you know claudia will buy me a really nice uh uh, uh outfit like sweat outfit so i can do sports and all that i'm like oh that's cool like you know she she she, she figured it out you know like she got it you know and so gifts are a very powerful way you know to demonstrate our love and our affection and, and support our disposition but also our words we need to speak we need to talk amen So there needs to be follow through. There needs to be consistency in everything that we do. So at the marriage conference, jumping quickly through, uh, we talked about four different areas that were signs and red flags and and things. If you guys want to know what poor communication is, Jesus actually spends a whole chapter in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus describes the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And the whole chapter, Jesus is describing catastrophic communication. He says, you say one thing, but you do another. You do this, but your symbols and your white robes or whatever are not in line with really who you are. He calls them whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones. He calls them vipers. Why? Because their communication is all over the place. They're saying one thing they're doing something else their follow-up their symbolism is in another place and then they don't follow through in fact he says and if the people were left to you guys they wouldn't get closer to god they would be lost so chapter 23 of matthew is a perfect example of what bad communication looks like and if you read that you could kind of like take inventory in your own life and see if you're communicating more like a pharisee and a religious person or you're communicating more like god amen so moving along Read that chapter on your own. We spoke about four areas in, uh, in communication that were uh, red flags or like bad signs, uh, signs that you're in a bad place or that you need to back up and check yourself and then try again. And one of them is sarcasm. It's one of the ones that I talked about because in my own life, God had ministered to me this many, many years ago to kind of like clean it up, you know, say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't be little people. Don't like minimize people's uh, needs and, and comments, you know, but take them seriously, weigh them, because how many know that God is never sarcastic with us? God, he could be, because God is way up there, and we're way down here. So if God wanted he was, <laughs> hey, Mijo, before, well yeah, why don't you go ahead and, you know, like God doesn't talk to us like that. He speaks to us seriously time and time again. God just gives us the goods and he lets us know clearly what direction we move in. But sarcasm, I I say it's like a, a toxin, like rust that just eats away, tears apart relationships. Because we minimize or we exaggerate or we like belittle, make fun of the person and what they said or what they did. And that creates an environment of insecurity, lack of confidence. It destroys trust and the hardest thing about it is like when we were parents like we could almost get away with anything we resolved because we're adults but when we start having kids grow up in your home and they begin to talk like that and they begin to treat each other like that the only time i have threatened the life of my children <laughs> claudia hates this but the only time i have threatened the life of my children not really their life but is when i see them talking to each other like that like when oh yeah blah, blah. i stop and go let me tell you something if i ever hear you talk to your sister like that again I'm gonna kick you so hard you're gonna land in Lubbock Texas you know (laughs) cuz dad never talks like that right so what so I want them to know sarcasm is not gonna be part of your upbringing it was part of mine it was hard for me to rip it out of my life right but this is not gonna be part of you guys you guys are gonna talk right you're gonna say what you mean and mean what you say and treat each other accordingly and so sarcasm is, is very very destructive very, very destructive, it's like a fungus, a toxic fungus that you almost don't even see it, you know, but and then you begin to get symptoms and, <coughs> and cough and you can't breathe and like what's going on? Well, because you have a fungus growing in your life that is just taking you apart and so sarcasm is something that we have to address, we have to stop. If you it hearing your communications, take a step back and fix it, amen? Gossip, Claudia talked about gossip. Gossip, I, you know, I call it, this may be a little strong for some of you, okay, but I call it speech pornography, okay, gossip, why, because it kind of like pleasures some sick area in our life that makes us feel like, hee he, he, good or something, when we're talking bad about somebody, or we're, when we're like, and I understand that because I'm a fourth child, so I always wanted to be seen and noticed and celebrated, and I never was, right, <laughs> so like when they say, oh, porque Raulito, and you know, Raulito, and Raulito, Raulito, I'm like, yeah, but he's also screwed up because he did this, 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 you know? Like, I want to say, yeah, he was bad, you know? Because look at this, but you're not even... But what I'm saying is that you're not noticing me. Like, while we're celebrating this guy, he has all these good things, it's true, but you guys never notice me. And so gossip kind of like, in a way, like, gives us a little bit of pleasure because we're turning on this other person we don't want to see celebrated. We want to be celebrated, right? And so gossip is very insidious, you know? And, and, and because it gives us like that twisted pleasure and whatever... You know we like to do it and whether it comes from insecurity or it comes from a lack of you know getting celebrated or noticed wherever it comes from you know if you see it in your vocabulary in your language you need to stop it because it's not good for you it's not good for the person you're destroying you know it's not good for anybody and frankly the bible says that god told me this jules the things that you do and i told this to tiffany because she's a four child too the things that you do in secret the things that are not noticed, the things that are not celebrated, I'm going to notice. I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to blow you up. I said, so Tiffany, be patient, like become be patient. She can't talk up to her older siblings. She can't disrespect them. She can't be sad. She can't, you know, she has very little tools to survive, you know, cause we've taken everything away, you know? But I said, but this is your portion in that God is going to build you and grow your character. He's going to mature you. And one day you're going to be powerful, you know? But you need to resist this. You need to put up with this. And so, you know, God sees what we do in secret. We don't need to tear other people down to be able to be noticed. And so gossip is a horrible thing. The name Diablos, Greek, devil, saint. You know what that name means? Exactly that. Libeler, slanderer, mudslinger, uh, defamer. In Spanish, calumniador. Or somebody like brings accusations, whatever, against somebody else to tear them down. And so when we gossip, what we're doing is we're aligning with the devil. We're partnering with the devil to tear somebody else down. Now, does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Especially it doesn't make sense in a church where you call yourself Christian, you know. But gossip, you know, in the Navy they say, loose lips sink ships. So in any organization, in my organization, the VA, like I don't let people gossip. Like we bring it out in front like if we were a church, you know, like I said, no, let's sit down and talk about it. I follow biblical principles on reconciliation, you know. I don't let gossip go on anywhere. I have influence because it destroys people. It destroys organizations. Amen. Number three, accusations. The Bible, another name for the Bible, for the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says, in fact, that the devil is next to, uh, to the throne of God day and night accusing the brethren. See, but you see this, did you see this? Like he did with Job, but did you see that, Lord? But did you see the other? Accusing us day and night. He's attacking your spouse day and night. He's attacking your children day and night. He's criticizing. And then we come along again and we partner with the devil and we start attacking our spouse or attacking our children. You know, surely there's another way to say it that isn't like attacking somebody. Baby, look what you did, por favor, like come on now you know like there's a nice way to say it there's a nice way to get to it you still have to deal with it you know but there's a nice way to say, and we need to learn how to talk and so when we communicate so they say because you and you never and you always and you could never and you couldn't always you know like we, we begin to use these extreme words extreme verbiage to attack our spouse and that's not effective communication because what happens to them they get back And they get in a defensive posture. Then they're defending themselves. They're they're in survival mode. You're attacking them. And then that kind of communication, we need to say, time out. Like Cessie says, walk away. You know, come back when your attitude is not one to attack. We ascribe malintent or bad intentions to our spouse before we even know the whole story. We don't know the whole story and we're already attacking. Instead of coming and saying, my let me ask you something. This and this and this happened and this and that. And so I'm trying to understand like how things went down that way. Well, baby, the thing was that, oh, okay. Okay, because I was ready to rip your head off. You know, oh, Okay, that makes sense. You know, okay, next time call me and I could help. Or next time let me know and I could go get it. Or next time let me know and I could address it and come together as a team and we could knock it out. But don't feel like you're on an island. Get overwhelmed, whatever, and then you're going to mess up because we all mess up, whatever. And then on top of that, your spouse comes and attacks you and accuses you, assuming you didn't show up because you were lazy, because you slept too long, because you were shopping, because you were out with friends, playing golf. because you know We assume all these things before we even have the conversation. And then our disposition, what is our disposition when you come through the door? What is it? attack you know we're going to take this down we're going to destroy because this can't happen again in my home that disposition communicates anger threat aggression automatically with before you say a word our spouse picks up on that our kids pick up on that they get into defensive posture and then when we begin to move in that direction it confirms to them that you're coming in out of line <laughs> you know thank god for our wives you know uh, sometimes they pick up on that before the kids do and they put us back they kind of give us a check so do not become an accuser revelations 12 10 there's where it says revelations 12 10 that the devil is the accuser of the brethren he stands next to the throne of god day and night day and night accusing the brethren amen let's not partner with the devil now the fourth area is uh lying deceit trickery you know in our conversations for whatever reason we're scared of the consequences we don't want to make them upset we don't want to get into a fight. We don't want to get into an argument. Uh, I messed up, but I don't want to upset him. I, I really like didn't do what I was supposed to do, but I don't want her to get upset. So we come in and we lie. And, and we skirt the issue and we provide like this, uh, this cover of deceit. And how many know that they're going to find out? They're going to find out. Okay, so what does that do to communication? So what you're telling me is not even real. And so you're comfortable with this kind of communication. So then I can't trust what you say. I can't trust our conversations. I can't. So how can we resolve anything if I'm talking with a person that is a liar? That doesn't make sense, right? It does not make sense. So being truthful or being honest, even if it's brutal honesty, like they call it, like you got to be honest and then come what may. And it may be ugly because you probably did something stupid. You know, you may have really messed up, but come what may, we got to deal with it in honesty, in truth, in integrity. We cannot lie. We can't afford to lie. You know, we can't allow to put seed of deceit and lie in our relationships because that also will destroy the trust and the confidence and the communication, the fellowship. And that is the devil's end goal. The Bible in John 8, 44, it says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. And he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So think about it like that. Think about it like this. Like if I say the truth, like there's going to be consequences. Like there's going to be issues. There's going to be a big fight. But if I lie... I'm kind of partnering with the devil. I'm kind of coming along his side and opening up our relationship and our home to him, right? Because that's what we do. When we lie, we open up. We say, hey, have your way. We give the devil a foothold in our relationships and our home. So being honest sometimes hurts. It's tough. But you know what the beauty is about being honest is it makes you a better person. It makes the people around you a better person. When you're brutally honest and you say the truth, you become actually an admirable person because few people are like that. There was a situation in our home when one of our daughters got into her for whatever reason, and she lied about what happened. And then the other daughter came up and said, this is what I did. This is what happened. This is whatever." And was brutally honest. And so because she was honest, she didn't have consequences. Not only did she not have consequences, but because the other one lied, we kind of made an emphasis of, of that. She was honest, and you weren't. She said the truth, and you didn't. You know, but I say the truth too. I go, well, in this case you didn't, you know, and like had a little bit of a meltdown, you know? And so her saying the truth, the other daughter saying the truth and being honest, like spurred this one up to also be honest in the future. So in the world, it's like that too. In your business, in your dealings with people, when you do a deal, when you make a contract, if you're brutally honest, that stands out because this world, there's all kinds of lies and deceit and you'll become known in the community and people will want to work with you and do business with you. Because you're honest. And so the devil doesn't want that. The devil wants you to be a liar, disrespected. The devil doesn't want you to have a good reputation community. The devil wants you to be broke and poor and depressed and anxious and suicidal, you know. So when we open the, the door to lying, there's all kinds of issues that we invite into our homes that are not what God would have for our homes. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's close. God has given us all this so we can enjoy the abundant life in John 10.10. 10. It says that he has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly so we're going to have the abundant christian life that god has promised us we got to like check these things in our home in our marriages in our speech and our communication and line them up with the way the word of god teaches us amen hallelujah thank you lord for this morning lord thank you for your word we ask you father god that everything that was said here father god be a seed lord that it would give fruit in its season lord that it will be something to glorify you lord and that people will look at our families our homes and desire to be like us, Father God, because you are in the middle of our homes, Lord. Not because we're better, not because we're smaller, Lord, but because we follow your word, Father God, and we understand that your disposition in this period of time, Father God, is love, Lord, and we want to participate of that. We want to be part of that. We want to enjoy, Father God, your goodness and your acceptance in this season, Lord. We want to reconcile with you, Lord, and we also want to do better with our wives, with our spouses, Lord, with our children, with everybody, Father God, that you would shine, that the Bible says that the men will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, Lord, that to you be all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. We got a 12 o'clock service coming up in uh, Spanish, and then uh, we'll see you at men's meeting Monday night. God bless you.